Welcome back to Hangovers and Highs. And uh, you may be asking yourself, where is our, our faithful leader, Drew Shank, and why is intern Christian heading up this podcast? Well, to answer your question, Mr. Drew Shank is off in Myrtle Beach, enjoying the, uh, the sun, the beach, the water, the sand. <laughs> and uh, he'll be back next week. So in the meantime... Uh, I decided to take it upon myself to record a solo episode, the first of Intern Christian's career. And um, I've invited a very special guest along. And uh, I'm going to turn it over to that very special guest, Ms. Jessica Rice, right now. Um, Hi, Uh, my name is Jessica Rice. I am a rising senior at Tulane University, uh, double majoring in political science and communication. I'm currently residing in D.C. per covid Third generation Washingtonian. Thought I should throw that in there. Um, yeah, super excited to be on uh, with Christian and excited for this conversation. Yeah. So the uh, the theme of this episode, or the title of this episode rather, is fake news, and uh, mm-hmm. we'll be we'll be dealing with the uh, the recent NASCAR, um, the, the whole debacle that's resulted around um, Bubba Wallace's um, fight for. Um, I guess his fight to bring NASCAR into 2020 and um, the, uh, the radical pushback that has resulted as a result of it. And this uh, result as a result, very redundant, but <laughs> um, we'll be, we'll be talking, we'll be diving into that, uh, that whole story. And um, I, I decided to ask Jess along to uh, be my co-host because I figured she could uh, provide a, a unique view being a, an African-American woman and I felt that I could also uh, provide a unique view being uh, having the physical build, the ass and thighs of an African-American woman. So um, <laughs> I think we'll, we'll be able to bring this story to you guys in a, uh, in a hopefully a new pers- or we'll be able to present new perspectives and um, hopefully challenge your um, original beliefs based on what the media put out and all that jazz. So without further ado, we're going to Dive into episode four of Hangers and Highs, fake news. We're, we're going to be diving into the hangovers and highs of the, um, the, the whole situation that transpired, and transpired over the past uh, two or three weeks in NASCAR, um, starting off with uh, an event that you're very familiar with, Jess, and that was um, what Bubba, uh, Bubba uh, not Smollett, Bubba Wallace. <laughs> yeah, well, I will say I am not the biggest NASCAR fan, but recently, you know, Surprising. I have been following. Um, I've been following Bubba um, pretty closely because he's been pretty outspoken about his desire to ban the Confederate flag, or Confederate flag usage by NASCAR, um, and also because he emblazoned Black Lives Matter on the side of his car, which is an awesome know an awesome beacon of hope and representation very very cool um so yeah no ever since then i've been seeing a lot of not very closeted racists in the comments which has been very enlightening not that i didn't think that they existed within the nasa fan base but it has been uh illuminating yeah so I, i think that really is the perfect place to start jess um with uh well and i think we should start by uh, celebrating the high, as this is hangovers mm-hmm. and highs, we like to uh, we like to analyze both sides of the argument. We like to um, 
see where people have gone right and where they've gone wrong. And I think uh, NASCAR absolutely started off on a great, uh, a, a great journey. Um, I, I think they've really taken it upon themselves to rid the sort of uh, backwoods hillbilly, uh, racist, driving and driving and turning left uh, <laughs> sort of stigmatization that they have. And um, I think the pushback against uh, Bubba's, uh, Bubba's champion, championing of the cause to ban the Confederate flag really elucidates the, uh, the fact that there is that vocal minority within NASCAR. And I think right. given that, it really does, um, it, it paints NASCAR's action, NASCAR, the organization's actions by banning the Confederate flag in a much better light because they were willing to disenfranchise whatever 10, 20% of their, their diehard fan base in order to, yeah. uh, to, to do the right thing at the end of the day. Right. And yeah. um, so with that being said, let's, let's get into the, the, whole, uh, the whole fake news Mm. Sorry. <laughs> so to start off with, um, there was it was reported that a noose was found in Bubba Wallace's garage stall at uh, Talladega Motor Speedway and garage stall number four. And Bubba is dri- uh, drives a number forty three car owned by Richard Petty, the King. And we'll uh, we'll mm-hmm. get into the significance of that in a little bit, Jess. But um, mm. obviously, there was a noose found in Bubba Wallace's. Bob Wallace, the only black NASCAR race car driver, the, the only black NASCAR driver. And I think mm-hmm. he's, the, he's the only black driver to compete in the, um, like the, the top division or whatever of NASCAR. I think top it's a, yeah, the, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, you yeah. said you didn't know that much about NASCAR, Jess, but you are uh, putting me in my place. <laughs> <laughs> so um, he was the first one to participate in that uh, since like 1978, I think. And I forget the driver who did break the uh, the color barrier in that incident, but he was ultimately forced out of NASCAR due to the fact right. that he was black. So it, it's it's very clear that there is there's a sort of history of um, these these horrible racist incidents in NASCAR. As we all know, it's it's their sort of uh, it's a stereotype of NASCAR, a bunch of backwoods hillbillies yeah. and everything. But I think um, the way that NASCAR reacted to not only the Confederate flag situation, which I, I think they they performed incredibly admirably, and I have not seen a professional sporting organization react as quickly, as sweepingly, as effectively as NASCAR did. Um, we, we look at the NFL Absolutely. and the Kaepernick, the Kaepernick situation, they blackballed them. And then five years later, they admitted they fucked up. So yeah. the fact that they, that NASCAR banned the Confederate flag and then in response to the reported noose incident, they immediately took every single precaution that they could. They, um, they locked down everything. They reviewed all the security footage. They turned the investigation over to the FBI. Which right. isn't yeah, yeah. which isn't a move that somebody who is you know trying to fabricate a, a a story would do, because why would you hand it over to the highest law enforcement agency in the country if you know that you're just uh, playing this up, yeah. yeah, for optics or whatever? So um, so they turned it over to the FBI, and um, so so the reason for doing so was that this uh, this garage stall. Uh, before uh, a week before or a couple of days before the race rather sorry 
um, would have only been accessible to NASCAR credentialed personnel, which uh, really explains why they took such a hard light stance. And given the COVID situation, only one third of the people who would have been allowed uh, those credentials were granted them. So you, you can understand why NASCAR had a really, uh, a really strong response to it, given the, uh, the, the implication that it could have only been one of their own that did it. And mm-hmm. um, so as a result, Jess, I'm sure you've seen the, uh, the video of all the drivers walking out, Bubba, walking Bubba out. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, I mean, it was just it was it was such an incredibly powerful video. Like, it, I mean, me as a, as a white guy or whatever, the first time I watched it, like I was getting goosebumps and kind of like holding back yeah. tears. So like, I can only imagine what your uh, your response was to that was. So yeah. I'd give you the floor. <laughs> Like you said, I mean, I feel like we haven't really seen a lot of professional sports organizations rally around um, one of their own in response to uh, race-based hate crimes or attacks or whatever it may be. So I think seeing, as you said, how swiftly they felt that they should react, how sweepingly they did so. And then the fact that the other racers themselves were committed to standing alongside Bubba in, in in a moment that was super emotionally charged for him, I'm sure past two weeks have been tremendously difficult, you know, starting with him standing alone in sort of vast opposition to a lot of the people that he not races for, but a lot of the people that watch the races that he participates in. Um, You know, I'm sure it's been extremely draining. And then, you know, having a whole hate crime, you know, uh, an alleged hate crime, you know, I can only imagine how endangered he felt. Right, exactly. And I think that that's also another one of the things that really motivated um, like Steve felt to action was that he understood the sort of target that was on Bubba's back. Yeah, and and after, for, our, for our listeners, Steve Phelps is the president of NASCAR. So th- that's coming from the right. highest authority within the organization. But please continue. Right, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I just think that, you know, he understood the sort of position Bubba put, and, and I say the sort of position he put himself in because he would, you know, act in opposition to what is commonly thought, mm-hmm. um, you know, by the, the consumer base of NASCAR. But, you know, he understood um, sort of the, the difficulty and the desire to protect one of your own in that situation. And I think that that shows a tremendous amount of solidarity and desire to protect all things that I think we as a country could really benefit from in this day and age. So, yeah, I absolutely applaud NASCAR for their swift actions. I think that um, it really showed the ugly side of the fan base to see how many people jump to conclusions about Bubba's character as a result of everything that's happened, especially because, as we all know, as more details about this incident co- like come out, we understand that he was not the one that found the news. He had no clue and was told by Seatbelt and others that there was a news mm-hmm. in, his, in his garage. So the, the whole idea that he could be somehow responsible for trying to, uh, you know, get attention off of a national outcry for black lives that I think is just sort of very silly, but you know, there will always be people that want to assume the worst, especially mm-hmm. in cases like this. So it isn't necessarily surprising. Yeah, no, I think that's a, that's a great uh, point to kind of finish the story off on. Um, so the, um, so like you said, not only NASCAR, but the drivers came out unanimous, unanimously in support for Bubba. They all uh, they all tweeted out positive things, and I actually saw um, a sort of surprise. Have you heard of uh, Tony Stewart before? No. No. Okay. So he's like a very famous, uh, like old school kind of NASCAR driver, and um, 
one of his uh, he, so he tweeted out something in support of Bubba, and one of his followers replied. I mean, so just with something like ignorant, like "Oh, you're trying to ruin um, the sport or whatever," the the sport or whatever. And Tony's like, "You know what? Fuck you. You're gone. You, if you, if you if you don't like where we're going, fuck you." So I, I yeah. just thought I, 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 I think, and I I've got to really give these guys credit because that's a that's an incredibly um, it's not a brave stance to take that black lives are equal to white lives, but given the the sort of um, the 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 historical uh, stereotypes. I think I think it, yeah, yeah, it would be easy for them not to say anything. Right, you know, exactly. It would and, be a lot more. It would be more in line with mm-hmm. you know, what people expect of them. Yeah, and so every one of mm-hmm. and every one of those drivers has a decentable, like a decent size of their fan base is uh, is made up of these sort of vitriolic, horrible, racist people. So, um, <laughs> I mean, I don't want, I don't want to paint them all with. Well, no, but, but, like but the that. fact of the matter is but, that a, a certain yeah, portion of NASCAR's fan base is yeah, racist. And, yeah. So, and, and that's not to, we're not, we're not shitting on NASCAR. What they have done is incredibly admirable, but uh, rather they're yeah. famous. So, so to kind of get back on the, uh, the, uh, the story here, um, there was a bit of a plot twist. Right. And that, that came when uh, the FBI revealed that they had found no evidence that a hate crime was committed. And um, I'm sure you saw the original image of the noose that was uh, leaked out, Jess. Yeah. 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 So it was like from 2019, October, and it was a grainy... Uh, zoomed out photo and it loosely showed like I mean the knot was maybe that big and so that was released the day after the FBI released their initial findings and that sort of let the internet run wild with the fact that this was just all a a ploy it was it's a conspiracy and um, they sort of compared it to uh, a situation Jess and you might uh you might know what I'm talking about here. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, a, a guy by a name very close to mine, actually, Jesse Smollett. Yeah, I don't know. That sort of rubbed me the wrong way. I'm not going to lie to you. I think that people just love to liken it to a situation where, on a grand scale, a black man was seen as telling a, a complete lie based on, you know, race politics. Mm-hmm. I think that people loved... Honestly, I think people love to hear that story. People that believe that, you know, racism doesn't still exist, microaggressions are false, that we're all, you know, fighting a race war, creating a race war, whatever, by speaking out against things that might be systemic. I think those sort of people love to hear that story, and they immediately did the same thing to Bubba Mm -hmm. and tried to make it seem as if, you know, he was plotting or playing to do something. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, I just sort of think that exposes the underbelly of... uh, America. I don't know. I think it's pretty nasty that people are comfortable making that uh, or drawing that conclusion or parallel. So, Jess, if I can, but, if I can stop yeah. you there, um, what, yeah. what is your reaction to the whole Jesse Smollett incident as a black woman? Um, yeah, I definitely, it's, it's troublesome to hear. It definitely is something that disturbs me. I think that there are weird inner musings for him at play. 
I, I don't think that what happened to him is representative of the black experience, oh, the, black, the black experience in this country. Of course, no one, like I can't speak for everyone, but I think that it was a disgrace. And I, I heard a lot, a lot of, um, like this case coming from the black community itself. Like no yeah. one was, no one was really writing for him or saying that what he was doing was okay. A lot of people mm-hmm. felt embarrassed by association. And like, I don't know. I don't think that there's anyone that I know at least behind what he did. I think it's pretty manipulative and disgusting at the same time, you know, hearing that the VA dropped the case. There's a lot of questions that I have about the, what, what was going on in general, but no, I definitely don't. It's weird to me. I don't understand it. It's manipulative. Yeah, it's a bad taste in my mouth. And I think that's just one of those cases that proves that there's only one color that matters in the justice system, and that's green. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's true. Money talks. Money talks for sure. But I. Jussie? Michael? I showed you that Cat Williams bit about him. Uh, did you? I did. I'm pretty sure. Maybe. But, I, well, so after, I'll, I'll share that with you after. But either way, uh, to, to digress, I think, um, yeah, so absolutely. It's, it's just ridiculous that people would sort of paint Bubba in the same light as Jussie. That's clearly just a, a, a fabricated hate crime because he... And, and, I mean, he's a he's a successful rich guy. I think he just honestly wanted to publicize himself. He wanted to boost his image. He wanted to make a few bucks. Yeah. And um, to compare that to Bubba Wallace, like you mentioned before, it, Bubba didn't find it. It was reported to him by Steve Phelps, and he could not have possibly made himself out to be a victim in a case where he was told that Bubba, there was a noose found in your garage saw. And, absolutely yeah, yeah. And so people that are just running with that narrative are just absolutely ridiculous and um so this is so that was all in response to the first image of the noose that was released and then the day after they released a uh, far more conclusive Im- conclusive image of the noose and i uh and anybody uh we'll we'll, we'll put the uh, image up in the um the youtube video but to anybody that thinks this that this was some like kind of false uh, uh, misconstruction or uh, whatever. I, I just, <laughs> it, it looks like a noose. That's it, all it, there yeah. is to There's it. There's no two ways about it. It, it definitely <laughs> is. It's it definitely. And the thing, I think that the thing that sort of disconcerts me, though mm-hmm. I understand that it was, it was put up in October of 2019 or whenever it was, interesting because the other 10 garages all of them had pull ties but none of them were tied in that formation mm-hmm. so i think that's just another thing where people are like you know something smells fishy and and i don't want to give i mean I, I you know obviously i don't know that's the i released their findings you know who am i to question them but it definitely there's something to be said for the fact that it seems fishy and i understand yep. why you know you can call it jumping to conclusions you can say that Steve Phelps should have said allegedly a hate crime instead of a hate crime period. But there are lots of, you know, things in motion that sort of made it seem as if this was the most logical conclusion. So, you know, I don't fault Steve Phelps for, mm. you know, thinking that right. was what it was. And, originally. and, and given that you're the, the executive, uh, the, the highest ranking executive officer of NASCAR, 
and you know the sort of uh, stereotypes and um, reputation that your fans have garnered in the past few years um, to to come out so sweepingly and to stand up for it, I think um, is definitely a positive action. And imagine that they hadn't reported on what appeared to be a noose and that and the image that came out a couple of days later, the one that we are both looking at and the one that we showed our, our, our viewers. Imagine um, if that had uh, come out, right. If it had come up before, none of this problem would be happening right. because it's clear as day that, that is a noose and it could be, and there's only one kind of um, one way to take it when you see a noose like that, especially given the fact that like you mentioned before, his was the only garage stall that had the noose and NASCAR right. put him in that. So that that's yeah. kind of where I, I kind of um, where NASCAR's official story kind of loses me because yeah, there was only one stall and you put the black guy in the stall with the right. noose and, tied to the garage. And consider through the sociopolitical context of the last couple yes. of weeks. No, I, mean, yeah. it, it, I mean, off so the heels funny. of Bubba, Getting the Confederate flag banned, ten percent, five percent, whatever percent of NASCAR's fan base just jumping ship, and and, and given all that, you guys. Right, and we also consider. I mean, who was that NASCAR driver that literally quit because the Confederate flag was banned? Oh, it wouldn't. Well, I mean, be. that was just some scrub guy. So there were a couple of guys got in that the got in series. trouble. Maybe yeah. he wasn't. Yeah, yeah. So he was. He was like in the truck series or something, which is just like. I mean, that's like the Special Olympics for NASCAR or whatever. I mean, no, no offense to people with disabilities, but it's. it's. Um, and then there was a, what was his name? It was I forget the guy, but um, he was on a live stream, like in a, a NASCAR sanctioned live stream. So they were uh, doing like a driving simulator and streaming that in lieu of the races they couldn't hold, like as soon as COVID came out. And one of the drivers dropped the N-word, like, clear as day. Right. And I remember, actually, I looked back in Bubba's Instagram post, and he released a statement in response to that, Mm -hmm. you know, which just happened, you know, within the last month and a half, if not the last month. So it's not like there hasn't been a slew of events that have been occurring, you know, right under, I don't want to say under NASCAR's nose, but, like, to Bubba in particular. Like, he's been very outspoken about everything that's been happening. Three incidents occurred before the news was even found. So, you know, that puts the hypothetical target on any. Yeah, no, it's going to be. Especially, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. Crazy coincidence if it wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if it wasn't. So. <laughs> so, um, I, I kind of glazed over um, the the sort of implications that Richard Petty. So I, I mentioned earlier that Richard Petty is the one that owned uh, Bubba's uh, 43 car. And obviously that's iconic because that's the number that Richard Petty, the king, the I mean, by all counts, the greatest NASCAR driver of all time, uh, he, he raced in that one as well. And I thought it was incredibly um impactful it was powerful it was just whatever adjectives you want to use to describe the fact that Richard Petty the day that um, NASCAR released their initial statement that uh, a noose was found and all that um, he immediately tweeted out I'm going down to Talladega all that matters is I want to hug my driver 
And um, for those of you who aren't NASCAR fans, like us and everybody else, um, <laughs> there's there's a lot of significance behind Richard Petty's actions. So first of all, just to give an idea of who Richard Petty the man is, he was born in 1937 in Georgia. And Jess, I'll let your facial reaction to that uh, kind of tell the story that wasn't a great place to be a black person. Right. Um, right. And so, I mean, you can only assume that he was raised um, with a sort of a degree of hate. And then he came up and he was the greatest NASCAR driver of all time. So he was only uh, sort of involved in an institution that is known for its racism above all else. And um, so, so the fact that he's willing to stand up is, is impressive. And I, I really want to give him kudos because a lot of racists and bad people, they're born into it. And um, he was definitely born into a situation where it would certainly imply that he would turn out racist. So for him to turn, uh, turn the corner, take a left, um, right. <laughs> is uh, very impressive. So I, I just want to give yeah. him kudos for that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And honestly, you know, I, I think that a point that we brought up in conversation earlier is how impactful and positive conversation can be in changing someone's mindset. Absolutely. Um, and I have to assume, you know, again, you know, like you said, he was born in 1937 in Georgia, in Georgia, not that there weren't people that were actively anti-racist in that time, but of course, those, those were slim margins. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm just sure throughout his life that he had to have come into contact and had really thoughtful conversations with people that allowed him to open up his mind. Yeah, and a I'm little sure Bubba was one of those people. Absolutely. I think that knowing someone personally gives them humanity in a way that it's really hard to conceive of for mm -hmm. someone that you don't know on a personal level. So, you know, I, I think that Bubba was probably impactful for him personally in a lot of ways, um, sort of breaking down stereotypes and barriers that he might have had subconsciously in his own mind. But absolutely have to give him kudos for showing up and being a visible participant mm -hmm. and like unifying behind Bubba. And, and not only that, but Richard Petty does have a, uh, a very kind of uh, just a dark, horrible history at Talladega Motor Speedway. And, uh, and I'm, I'm sure you haven't heard this story before, but in 1975, he was uh, participating in the uh, Winston 500. And um, about halfway through, he realized that his uh, front left, there was something wrong with his front left tire. And um, he pulled into f uh, pit row and there were flames coming out and everything. And so the the first pit man on the job, you know, sprayed it down, tried to extinguish a fire. Petty came out. And he's like, we need more pressure. We need more pressure to extinguish a fire, obviously. And the person who indeed uh, kind of screwed the valve loose was his, uh, his son-in-law, or his brother-in-law, sorry, Richard uh, Owen, yeah. a 20-year-old guy. And he, um, as soon as yeah. he opened up that canister, the top blew off. He was shot 15 feet up in the air, and he died immediately upon wow. impact. So for, yeah. for Richard Petty to go to Talladega for the first time willingly without a, a race at stake or his career at stake, I, th I think it's right. just another, another sort of um, uh, another just sort of check-in. Uh, the, the Richard Petty is a good guy box. So... Um, 
We um so we uh we we talked about the plot twist. Yeah. yeah. And um I think at the uh just kind of looking back uh from a neutral po- point of view, I think NASCAR sort of dove headfirst into a puddle. Um and that's what I thought from the beginning, and I, I I looked into another controversy that immediately sort of jumped to my brain um, when I saw when I thought of this incident, and just that's the uh, that's the controversy surrounding the word niggardly. Mm-hmm. And I will I will let you that's take it from word. there. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you know this is near and dear to my heart as a. Gen native Washingtonian. It's definitely part of as a you know, personal history. <laughs> okay, well, you know what? I I denounce that. Just said that. Just said that. That was not me. <laughs> um, you know, so in 1999, um, our mayor Anthony A. Williams, mm-hmm. he was, um, you know, he he was he had an aide by the name of David Howard, and in a press conference in reference to budget. Uh, the yeah, of niggardly, um, which is to mean stingy and not generous. Now, a little bit of background on D.C. For a lot of people who don't know, because a lot of people don't know outside of D.C. residents themselves, D.C. has been a predominantly black city for its entire you know, inception, or not for as long as it's existed. So, you know, we've undergone a great degree of gentrification, which has you know, taken the black population down almost 20%. Right now it's at 47%, but I can imagine when... So has it just shifted them to different neighborhoods, like outside of D.C.? Okay, okay. So as D.C. improves... So the population is still there. The black black population is still there. They just kind of shoved them aside in in favor of property values and all that jazz. In certain ways, if you've heard of the term yuppie, young business professional, Mm -hmm. we have a lot of those people coming to work on the Hill you know, thousands upon thousands each year. So because we have all of these well-off, young, predominantly white people moving into the city, we have, you know, apartments and condominium complexes that are taking up an expansive amount of the city. We also have, like, young, you know, 30-year-olds that are moving in, you know, settling down with their partners. And as a result, we have lifetime, you know, lifelong uh, Washingtonians being forced out because they can no longer afford to pay their rent if they couldn't mm-hmm. buy their property originally. So you have people that have lived here for 40, 50 years that are being forced out to Maryland and Virginia and the suburbs where, you know, no good D.C. person would ever claim. And Dave Chappelle um, has been saying this shit for the last 20 years as well. I mean, it is crazy. I will drive in D.C., my city, the city where, my, where both my parents were raised, routinely, and we will be in parts of D.C. where they they frequently say, you know, I remember what this used to look like when I was a kid and it has completely changed. Not only has, has the, the physical manifestation of it changed, but the, the breakdown mm-hmm. of, you know, the people that inhabit it completely changed. And it's, it's sad to see, you know, an area lose so much of it. I, I'm going, I'm going on and on, but it's, it's really <laughs> sad to see that, you know, a place that has so much significance to a group of people has been completely shifted. But with that no, being but said, I mean, it's, it's great to hear your opinion on the matter. I'm, I'm so happy that you're, you're so outspoken and passionate about it. And yeah. I, I think it's, it's just awesome to hear from somebody who does have that passion and that sort of, right. uh, that internal yeah. 
desire to make things better and different. So um, to to wrap up the whole niggardly story, I uh, yeah. I just went off on my. I'm sorry. Let me wrap it up really quickly. Um, the usage of the word niggardly, though it does, the definition is you know all well and good and is correct. I think that we as we as individuals living in this like newly progressing and quickly progressing society have a responsibility to understand who we are speaking to and who is on the receiving end of the things that we say. I think it was, while it was completely correct, was a bit tone deaf of him. Um, just because he, you know, he understood who was going to be on the proceeding end. That being said, though, what happened to him as a result was unfair. He was fired when he used a word that was completely within, you know, it was, it was totally correct for him to use. And he was fired, um, you know, under the mayor, uh, Anthony Williams, mm-hmm. without him really standing up and sticking out for him. And I know that you have a quote by President of Anthony that you are just itching to use. <laughs> uh, let it rip. <laughs> Let's hear it. <laughs> so I, I, I think um, Julian Bond, the president of the NAACP as of 1999, I, I think he really just gave a, a perfect summation of not only what happened then, but a beautifully prophetic view of the future. So if I can read his quotes, uh, Julian Bond said, you hate to think that you have to censor your language to meet other people's lack of of understanding. David Howard should not have quit. Mayor Williams should bring him back and order dictionaries issued to all the staff who need them. Seems to me that Mayor has been niggardly in his judgment of the issue, and that as a nation... And this, I think, is the most prophetic and lasting statement that he said. We as a nation in the U.S. have a hair-trigger sensibility on race that can be tripped by both real and false grievances. So I I think that ties into the Jesse Smollett thing. I think that maybe even ties into the response to O.J. and all. Hi, guys. I decided to cut the episode here as the conversation that Jessica and I were having uh, sort of uh, evolved into a more political one and obviously that's not uh that's not the gist of our show um we we do like to address uh these issues when they do arise in sports but um obviously we're, we try to we try to limit the uh the, the scope of everything to just that sports so um thanks again as always for tuning in to hangovers and highs um to our lifelong listeners i uh i hope this uh this one uh, provided something, you know, a little bit different, um, but also uh, was interesting and um, worthwhile. And, of course, thank you very much again to my, uh, my lovely guest, Jessica Rice, uh, for joining us. And um, we'll see you guys next time.